Welcome to Infinite Insights, the podcast designed for all TK-12 teachers. And I am Dwayne Hobbecker, math coordinator for Merced County Office of Education. And I'm Maggie Peters, math consulting teacher for the Rincon Valley School District here in Northern California. And every other week, Maggie and I will share a new math research study or article or some other mathy thing and we're going to talk it over bounce ideas off each other and think about how to implement it in the classroom. So how you doing, Maggie? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. okay. Are you? <laughs> I think get, so. <laughs> get your week started off okay? Yeah, how about you? You moved into your new house. Dude, it's been nothing but boxes and like, well, we don't have, pop, you know, the, the old moving popcorn, those little crate packing crate popcorns that used to be a mess all over the house they don't have those anymore so now they have these like these air bubble wrap things they're like those old-time little bubbly poppy things that you go pop pop. yes the stress relief yeah but now they're huge and they're oh they're just like pop pop oh the kids love it i bet i bet that's so cool yeah but they last night they slept in their own beds and it was glorious did they sleep the whole night? All of them, because they're right. exhausted from unpacking. <laughs> Make them work, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, Maggie, the um, the topic that we're going to be talking about today is motivating students in a mathematics classroom, which, of course, would be a glorious thing if all students came prepackaged as motivated and engaged students. But, of course, they're not. And uh, you had found an article through Edutopia called Nine Strategies for Motivating Students in Mathematics by, uh, I love this guy's name, Alfred Posamentier. That's how I'm going to say it. Posamentier. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, he's either from Louisiana or Canada. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, Not France? No. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he's actually, he's like a college professor from, I think, New York. So it's probably Canada even, maybe. Uh, so anyway, can, can you tell us a little bit about it? Okay. Well, I have to say that I kind of sort of fell into a rabbit hole on this one. And I ended up getting sucked into a couple of different sites that he had linked to and fell in love with... Um, a summary of the articles and research on a website called On the Cutting Edge, um, which is supported by the National Association of Geoscience Teachers, out of all things. Okay. Um, I know it sounds strange, but but stay with me. Um, It basically recounted some recurring themes about student motivation, and it's drawn from educational literature. And I thought, you know, we could actually talk about those instead. They're very similar to the nine strategies, but like, I don't know. I feel like they did a really good job of explaining it to, to me. (laughs) Sure. And so apparently science teachers are concerned about engaged and motivated students as well. Right. Um, so that's great. Okay. So I'm always looking for ways to motivate my students and it's even better when I can brag and say that my methods are backed by science and research and all that sort of junk. So Okay, so motivation. Let's start uh, with a common definition. So what is, what's motivation? And, you know, classic definition, it's to be be motivated means to be moved to do something. And where that that motivation of being moved to do something, where that comes from, can come from the outside or the inside. That's extrinsic or intrinsic. 
And, you know, people's motivations vary. You've got the level of motivation. You've got the orientation of that motivation, as in, you know, what type of motivation is happening. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, though, the, the, between the extrinsic and the intrinsic. So, like, extrinsic is, like, um, reward tickets or grades or maybe a threat of losing a grade, right? Is that extrinsic? Yeah, kind of. It's it's doing something for an outside reward. And okay. so like kids who are extrinsically motivated, um, that's a mouthful. I've never said that <laughs> like that. Say that 10 times fast. But they'll say things like, I need a B um, in English or I need a B to stay in advanced English. Or if I flunk my science tests, my parents won't let me hang out tonight. Um, or Something like maybe our instructor will bring us donuts if we do well today on today's quiz. Um, sure. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Some of the advantages to that are like they produce behavior changes quickly and they involve relatively no effort on the side of the teacher. So you can say, all right, if you do well, I'll, I'll do this for you. And if those kids are extrinsically motivated, they're going to do that. Um, but on the other hand, it can often distract students from learning um, because they're so focused on the reward that they only, you know, do it for the reward. And then as soon as that reward is taken away, um, you know, for the next time, they won't do as well. So you think about those kids who memorize spelling words for the spelling test. And then as soon as that grade is back, they've forgotten how to spell all those words. Right, right. Yeah. Now, did you mention anything about escalating? No, I did not. Like that classic inflation. It's like, well, I know I used to do these things for one ticket, but, you know, teacher, I'm getting a little tired. You're going to have to, you know, inflation. You're going to have to bump that up to two tickets. <laughs> Is that why my children don't do their chores for less than $100 a month anymore? Inflation is a pain in the rear. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. But like what we're going to be talking about kind of revolves around the intrinsic motivation. Um, and and those are kinds of things that that we want kids to do on their own because it's the joy of learning. Right. So intrinsic motivation, that's defined as the doing of an activity for its inherent satisfactions rather than for some separable like extrinsic consequence, right? So kids who are intrinsically motivated will say things like, I love reading about World War II, or learning math lets me see the world in a way that makes sense, or I feel good when I'm learning something new, or I, you know, or I enjoy the struggle of mathematics, right? That's our growth mindset kind of mm -hmm. concept. So some advantages of this is, it, first off, it could be long-lasting and self-sustaining, right? It, the, the efforts to build this kind of motivation are typically um, efforts at promoting student learning. Now, some disadvantages. Um, students, uh, let's see, efforts at fostering intrinsic motivation can be, well, they're slow to affect behavior because you're really trying to change that that inside behavior, and, and that, that takes more time and patience on the teacher's part and can require some special and lengthy 
preparation. So this is not something you could just whip out in a moment's notice like some extrinsic rewards. And students are individuals. So a variety of approaches may be needed to motivate different students. Mm -hmm. And And let's be real. uh I think learning something in depth takes a lot longer than just learning it on the surface level for a quick outcome. Right, right. So let's get to the the article. It's so... I'm counting, and it looks like instead of nine, we're, we have eight. Yes. So, hey, let's let's kick out the eight. Let's get going on this. All right. And just so the listeners know, uh-huh. like how we're going to format this today is a little different than just talking it back and forth. We're going to share with you kind of what the article was saying, um, which is number one, like, for example, make it real. And then we'll talk a little bit about what things we've done in the classroom or things we've done with teachers um, that kind of highlight that um, motivation strategy. Sure. And we're going to go fast because it's like one minute per because we're already almost 10 minutes into the uh, podcast. Can you believe that? So this is just going to be like an overview, right, Maggie? Right, because we're we're going to post all these things and, and tons of links to the original article and this article, too. So kick us off. Number one. All right. So the first one is make it real. In order to foster this intrinsic motivation, try to create learning activities that are based on topics that are relevant to your students' lives. So some of those those things that you could do is um, Robert Kaplinsky has a ton of real world math um, problems that kids can go to and see pictures of. Like there's an example of um, somebody had glued a whole bunch of pennies to their floor um, as part of their decoration and the kids had to figure out how much money was there. Yeah, and then there's Dan Meyer's three-act math tasks. Those are for the higher grades usually, and um, they they kind of do real-world math to go along with, like, how many or how long will it take if this drop of water fills a bu- you know, uh, drops into a bucket and fills it to the brim, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then there is um, Mathalicious. Um, she also has lessons um, for middle and upper grades that are very similar to Robert Kaplinsky and Dan Myers. And then Get the Math, which is really cool. I used to use it with my students all the time. And it's, it's uh, I don't know, jobs that actually have math embedded in, in it, like video game designers or fashion designers. And they interview these people to talk to them about how math is really used in the world. Oh, nice. Back yeah. in the day, I did, um, we always played the videos of uh, Jaime Escalante. He had a bunch of videos mm. kind of like the same same thing. Yeah. Okay, hey, number two for getting those motivated students is provide choices. So students can have increased motivation when they feel some sort of sense of autonomy in the learning process. And that motivation declines when students have no voice in the class structure. So what does that mean? Some classic examples. I often hear teachers asking me questions about, well, how do I meet the needs of the high kids and the low kids and all this sort of stuff? And how do I get them to pay attention? Well, provide choices. Uh, Math workshop model is a perfect um, platform for providing choices. Math centers, tubs, activity centers, you know, whatever you want to call it. This is where it's with some prep work in the the front part uh, front end by the teacher 
Mm-hmm. We'll provide choice for our students in a variety of different models, whether you want to call it workshop or centers or just activity tubs. Um, the classic uh, math menus where you have perhaps a couple of activities for students to choose from as the appetizer, the main course, and the dessert. Let the students choose from their math menu or choice boards. Uh, currently in vogue is that classic genius hour or 20% time. This is where students get to choose uh, what they want to work on. And all of this is really the, what's foundational is UDL, where students have choice in terms of engagement, representation, and expression. Mm-hmm. Um, the third, the third uh, thing is balance the challenge. And I think this is the hardest one for me personally, um, because I have to really get to know my kids, but this is where um, you figure out um, where students perform best. And that is when the level of difficulty is slightly above their current ability level. Um, And if like the task is too easy, it promotes boredom and may communicate a message of low expectations, which we never want. Um, But then on the other hand, a task that is too difficult may seem as unattainable and then the kids will just stop working. Um, Scaffolding is one technique um, to help balance this challenge, Um, getting to know your students uh, right from the get-go so you can find those lessons that meet them. Um, And then those activities, once you do figure out where they're at, we obviously can't have 32 different um, activities for all the students um, without going necessarily crazy. So finding things like low floor, high ceiling activities where they have lots of entry points for all kids, um, but still maintain that quality of rigor, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And the classic place to get those are it, one place is, of course, ucubed.org. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, so number four, seek role models. So if students can identify with role models, they may be more likely to see the relevance in the subject matter. Now, I got to tell you, uh, back in the day, I was struggling with my students, so I asked them to imagine a mathematician walking into the room. And I asked them to imagine that mathematician walking up standing in front of them and speaking to them about what that mathematician does for a living. And then I asked my students to draw a picture of that mathematician. And of course, here's the crazy thing. Almost all of the students drew a male, and then all of them drew some sort of negative characterization. So, um, horns coming out, kind of like the, turning this mathematician into the devil, horns, um, broken glasses, nerdy. And so the idea was, it, it struck me that the reason my students weren't motivated was because they didn't have a really positive role model for a mathematician. To them, a mathematician was a very, very negative experience. So uh, to get students motivated, let's find role models for them. And of course, your seek, get the math videos that you were talking about, Maggie, mm-hmm. uh, the Jaime Escalante ones. And then, of course, we're living in the age of Google Hangouts and Skype. Contact somebody find somebody and Skype them in so that the students can get a real life example of a role model in mathematics. Right. And you mentioned UCube a few minutes ago. That's a perfect place to show too, because she has tons of videos of 
college kids who are cool and you know what better way to get young kids excited but to use younger students to help that you know absolutely absolutely um, so the other thing that you can do is use peer models and this is one of my favorite ways to help um, motivate students. Um, they can learn by watching a peer succeed at a task or you know um, do cross gravel sorry cross grade level tutoring mm -hmm. um, and it benefits both kids if you're doing it strategically. So for instance, peer teaching, classic, you know, I have a couple of kids who really understand it, so they become a leader and help everybody around them, you know, understand the math. I wouldn't necessarily do this all the time because those those kids need to be um, challenged as well. But it's a, it makes them feel good in in the short term, and it also helps the other kids understand because there's no better way to you know, have a kid learn than to have a peer who speaks their language teach them. Nice, nice. Uh, I also heard that peers talking or teaching peers is a good way to battle memory leak. <laughs> and so that might be a future episode. Well, that's our little teaser. How Maybe do... that's why I like talking to you so much. It helps <laughs> plug that leak a little bit. <laughs> Um, right. One more thing yeah. within that peer model thing, though, is that cross-grade level tutoring. So Classic. one of the schools that I worked with, the sixth graders, um, they're still, you know, we, we introduced Common Core to them midway through. So they're still struggling a little bit with some of the, um, you know, skills that, that are needed. And so what we've kind of devised is the sixth graders will go into, say, fourth grade classrooms and help at a center um, to talk about um, fractions, right? Mm -hmm. And it not only helps strengthen their understanding of fractions, which is very shaky, but then it also helps those fourth graders to understand it. Nice. They, yeah, they get a little, um, you know, front-loading beforehand, like, hey, this is how you do it. This is what we're going to be doing. Um, and then they go in thinking, hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm teaching. <laughs> and it's helped a ton. Yeah, and that builds motivation. So another thing, number six, yep. establish a sense of belonging. So people have this fundamental need to feel connected or related to other people, right? And in an academic environment, research shows that students who feel they belong have a higher degree of intrinsic motivation and academic confidence. And basically, when we ask students, their sense of belonging is fostered by an instructor that demonstrates warmth and openness and encourages the student participation. And, you know, so really, if the teacher wants motivated students in mathematics, the teacher has to take a genuine, genuine interest in those students, right? So. Um, yeah. When you know the old classic, when you have one finger pointing at somebody else, you have three fingers pointing right back at you. So the idea is, if we want students to behave that way, then we need to first um, invest our own interest in the kids. Classic things is that first twenty days um, by Fisher and Frey. That was kind of what we talked about our very first episode. Um, yeah. And then you know, and you could do it in in daily 10-minute bits with number talks. Take a genuine interest in listening to the student and helping that student by virtue of them participating in the conversation. They now feel like they're members of the community. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that dives perfectly into number seven, which is adopt a supportive style. Um, and a supportive teaching style allows for student autonomy, sorry, student autonomy, and that can in, and foster increased student interest and enjoyment and all those good things. Like we want to be able to motivate our students in a safe manner um, to help them grow in essence. So again, that's kind of a repeat of that UDL is that whenever you're talking about student autonomy, it's the idea of helping the students find a kind of engagement, a representation and an expression that Mm -hmm. that works for them. Yeah. And last but not least, number eight is strategize with your struggling students. So when students are struggling with their poor academic performance, um, one strategy that can help is to teach them how to learn. And mm-hmm. so the idea is what I used to do is I used to sit with a kid and I'd say, hey, kid, it isn't working. I'm not providing for you what I feel like you need. Could you help me um, be a better teacher for you? And, and the idea is it kind of goes back to that uh, number seven, which is that student autonomy. Hey, kid, I'm handing this to you. I want you to participate in how I can be a better teacher for you. And that really is just more of that UDL, um, the metacognition. And, you know, from a teacher point of view, what are what are some things I can do? I can really pay attention to my representation, that concrete representation and, and uh, abstract uh, three phases. And, and how can I help the student participate in him getting out of the hole? Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to strategize with the, the student to give them those soft skills as well, like how to take a test, how to finish an assignment, how to review for an exam. Um, a lot of times we, we don't necessarily do that and we just expect the kids to understand, oh, I have a test tomorrow, I need to study. But to like sit down and strategize with them to say, this is how one could study for a test helps also. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. All right. So I think it's time to wrap this edition up of Infinite Insights. Um, Dwayne, what are your closing, closing, not clothing, (laughs) Closing thoughts. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to think, okay, back in the day, Ben Franklin wrote this 13 steps to a better person or something like that. And basically in his little essay, he says, pick one thing, work on it for a period of time and then add a second thing, then add a third thing and and go slow, right? So I see this list of eight things. I think my one thing that I would say, pick one thing and work on it until it becomes second nature. Then add a second thing and go slow. I think that's great. And Maggie, what are your closing thoughts? Um. I think it's safe to say that there are many ways to motivate a student to learn and those strategies all depend on the kids who are sitting in front of us. Um, I also think um, maybe our next chat um, could be about how we incorporate some of these strategies into our math classes when we're asked to use specific curriculum. Yes. Um, You know, but for now, I'm happy um, to just thank all of our listeners for listening. And to wrap this up and say thanks for listening to Infinite Insights, the podcast for all K through 12 math teachers. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already done so. And 
definitely send us a shout out on Twitter. I'm at D Habecker and Maggie is at Pele Lover One. His favorite. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and as usual, everyone, have a great weekend. And we will see you every other Monday here at Infinite Insights.